We've been doing a series called More Than a Story. We've been learning some of those foundational Old Testament stories that actually help us with a greater understanding of the entire context of the Bible and Scripture. And in the first week, we talked about creation. The second week, we talked about Noah and the ark. And this week, we're going to jump right into the center, a bunch of family tension. Some of you are going to experience family tension because you're going to attempt to put your entire family into a car and drive somewhere on vacation without killing each other, okay? So we're going to jump right into the center of some family tension. But before we do that, I want to start with an honest moment, okay? How many of you, if you have a sibling, grew up believing that your parents loved the other sibling more than they loved you? Hands up. The rest of you are lying, okay, through your teeth. Because if you have a sibling, you've had that moment when you just believed your parents loved the other sibling more than you. You believed that they were daddy's little girl or the mama's boy, and somehow you just got the short end of the deal and ended up on the outside. Well, in, it's into that kind of family tension that we run into a guy by the name of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis, okay? We're going to try and cover 13 chapters, 37 through 50, in about 27 minutes. So I hope you're ready. Put on your seatbelt. We're going to dive right into Joseph's tension. That's the first blank in your outline, because the Bible says this. Now Israel, who is Joseph's dad, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons, because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, here's a deep spiritual application for the parents in the room. Parents, playing favorites is not cool, okay? Just in case you were wondering, if you play favorites and love one of your children more than the other, the kid who's not getting all the love is going to hate your guts. How's that for just being straight out blunt and honest, okay? If you treat them differently, if you give to one without giving to the other, the one who doesn't get is just going to go away. That's the way it's going to be. Now, the reality is this. We treat our kids differently as parents, don't we? I mean, I treat Braden different than I treat McKenna because they're just different people. This is not about different treatment. In this scripture, it's actually about different blessings. When a parent withholds blessing from one child, all you're doing is embittering the other child. That's just the way that it works. Okay, Joseph gets a new coat, which was a sign of blessing. Nobody else gets a new coat. Joe gets a coat, which means everybody that doesn't get a coat hates Joe. That's how the equation works here, okay? Is it Joe's fault? No, it's not Joe's fault. His father made this decision, but the kids have to live with those decisions. Parents, I don't know if you know this or not, but your children have to live with your decisions for the rest of their life. Choose well and make decisions well, okay? If you don't believe me, that's why a lot of us are in therapy, okay? It's because of those kinds of issues. Is this Joe's fault that he's the favorite? Absolutely not. Unless, of course, he walks around talking smack about the coat, If Joe walks around just saying, I got a coat and you don't, you know, I got a cool looking coat, you're wearing a sweater vest, you know, there's a bit of tension there. And and, and the reality is what we're going to learn about Joseph in the next couple of moments is that that's probably what he did. So we start off right here with Joseph. Now, here's another cool thing. Joseph actually had a gift. The Bible says this in Genesis 37, that Joseph had a dream. 
Joseph was a dreamer, and that's how he's known in Scripture. I don't know about you, but I have strange dreams. In my dreams, I'm a seal, okay? Not a, a Navy seal, all right? <laughs> right away, right? That's what you thought. That's what you thought, okay? I'm a Navy SEAL, and I'm always saving people's lives. I have no idea why that's the kind of dreams that I have. That's not the kind of dreams that Joseph had. Joseph had spiritual dreams. Joseph's dreams were about people and the future. Joseph had spiritual dreams, and I want to tell you, there are people in this church that have this same kind of gift, and shame on you if you don't use your gift. Okay, now we're going to learn what happens about what, when you have this kind of a gift and, and, and stick an ego along with it, because that's a very, very dangerous place to go. But Joseph had a spiritual gift. He was a dreamer. So we're not just talking about the regular kind of dreams that we all have that are strange and crazy and little green men chasing us around and we're trying to figure out what in the world that it means. We're talking about spiritual dreams and the fact that God communicated to him in visions and dreams and that this phenomenon still happens today. Here was the problem. Joseph had a gift, but he also had an ego. That's the next blank in your outline. So Joseph has this dream, according to Scripture. He has a dream that one day all of his brothers are going to bow down and worship him. Okay? The, the dream involves stars and wheat. If you don't believe me, you can go back and read it for yourself. Now, here's the problem. Joseph has the dream that his brothers are going to worship him, and he makes this great decision. I'm going to go and tell my brothers what my dream was. That's not very wise, okay? Apparently, some dreams are to be shared and other ones are to be held in your heart until God gives wisdom as to who they are to be shared with. Joseph shows up and tells his brothers the dream. This is how it's going to be, guys. It's going to be awesome. One day, all of you guys are going to bow down and worship me. What an idiot. Really? Some dreams are to be shared, others are not so much. I mean, what was Joseph thinking? Was he thinking that people were going to cheer? Like, yes, Joseph, we're going to worship you. Okay, I have a sister, all right? I love my sister, Karen. She's awesome, wonderful. I love her to death. Worship her when hell freezes over. That's how it's going to work, all right? Because she's a regular, fallible human being, all right? But Joseph is so arrogant. He's actually surprised with what happens next. Genesis 37, verse 5 says this. And when he told it, meaning the dream to his brothers, they hated him all the more. <laughs> you think, right? You know what? And this piece here about his arrogance would be so easy to preach if it wasn't so personal. Because I've told you, if you've been around this church before, You've heard me talk about, there is only one word to describe this guy in college. Arrogant. Flat out arrogant. All of the words applied. Cocky, self-centered, selfish, but they all meant exactly the same thing. Arrogant. And God had to deal with my arrogance in the same way that he had to deal with Joseph. And when God was dealing with my arrogance, I learned something. This is an application. God will deal with your ego with or without your permission. 
Let me say that again. God will deal with your ego with or without your permission. You can either invite God in to deal with your lack of humility or he will just walk in and do it all by himself. God will deal with your ego one way or another. All the way through scripture, we hear this theme over and over and over again. Isaiah 26 verse three. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is focused completely on how grand and glorious he is. Is that what scripture says? No. Scripture says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on Jesus, on God, not on ourselves. John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. It means he must always become greater and we must become less and less and less. People ask me, how do you know if you have a problem with arrogance? Here's a simple way to determine Take a 24-hour period and see how many times the words I, me, or mine come out of your mouth. That's your answer. Just keep track in one single day, and you'll find out whether or not you're arrogant or not. Some of us are just like, I am not arrogant. (laughs) Yes, you are. You just proved the point. You know, the reality is in my story, God had to take away just about everything from me to help me see my own arrogance. I just about lost my wife, Laurel, before we were even married because of my arrogance. Just about lost my life and my soul because I was fixated on me. And I learned something that's very complex about arrogance. Here's the problem with arrogance. People who are arrogant are too proud to see their own problem. You think about it. So that's why you probably need to ask somebody else, am I arrogant? Am I arrogant? And if they love you enough, they will actually tell you the truth. God used a professor at my college. I will never forget his words because they cut through the center of my heart. Grant, you're arrogant. And not. (laughs) Are so. God used a professor to help me see my issue. And he, he took me to a humility school that God wanted to walk alongside of me that I am still enrolled into this day. It's time for Joseph to go to the school here. So here comes Joseph's trial. That's the next blank in your outline. The Bible says this. So Joseph, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern, into a great big hole. And then a bunch of time goes by, and a few verses later it says this, and his brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Okay, I need you to get this picture. Joseph shows up with his coat. Hey guys, you're going to worship me someday. Yeah, no, we're not. They strip off of his, uh, off his robe, fake his death to his father, throw him in a hole, and then when a group of traveling salespeople literally come walking through the story, they pull him out, sell him for 20 pieces of silver, and he's sent into slavery in Egypt. That is not a good place to be. It's just not a good place to be at this time and in this part of history. He ends up in Egypt working for a guy by the name of Potiphar. And I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version, okay? Potiphar's got a wife, and Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. Actually tries to seduce him. Joseph's finally starting to get a clue on some of these things, and he flees her advances. The Bible says he flees buck naked. It's a long story. Read it for yourself. You don't believe me? Read your Bible, okay? 
But that's what happens. And I love the fact that Joseph's finally getting a clue here because this is a story to young men that are here. Okay, young men, here's the deal. The Bible says over and over and over again, flee sexual immorality. Sometimes that means this. You need to stop making an excuse and run for your life. That's what it means. You're sitting in front of your computer and you're tempted. There are times when it's time to slam that lid of that thing shut and run in the opposite direction. Flee actually means flee. I know, it's a complex biblical truth, right? Flee actually means beat a path in the other direction. Joseph's finally getting this. And guys, it's not just for you. Ladies, this is for you too. I've got this little phenomenon that I'm dealing with that's happening all over the place. They're called Facebook affairs. It's where you get on your computer, lie about who you are now to all of your old flames in high school, and then wonder why your relationships gets jeopardized. Ladies, the word run in the Bible applies to both genders. Can I get an amen from somebody? Sudden Valley said amen, okay? Joseph actually flees. Potiphar's wife gets ticked that Joseph won't get with her program, so she actually accuses him of rape. And the Bible says this in Genesis 39, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. So I want you to understand this, okay? He is unjustly accused. He's in jail. That's about as humbling a location as you can possibly get. All of a sudden, if Joseph hasn't figured out this humility thing, he's humble now because he was a big shot wearing a really cool coat. And now all of a sudden, he's an accused rapist in jail. Now, some of us would look at that and go, that's not fair. You know what? You're right. It's not fair. This is a trial. But I want us to understand something here. This is the next application. Trials are doorways for God's faithfulness. See, life's tough when you, get, when you feel like you got a hand, a delta hand that was not fair. When you got accused of something you didn't do. When you actually choose to do the, the godly thing. I mean, this is what Joseph did, right? The Bible says flee evil. That's what he did. He was trying to do the right thing. And he still ended up in prison. He ended up in prison because life is broken sometimes. Sometimes the world just hands you something you didn't look for, you didn't go looking for. It just showed up because this world is broken. It's full of evil. People do evil things. He does the right thing. He still ends up in prison. And the temptation in that moment is to accuse God of abandonment. I think if if I was Joseph, it would have been, God, are you serious? I was finally starting to get a clue and now I'm in jail, unjustly accused. That's not fair. You're sleeping on the job, God. What's your problem? And let's not pretend that we haven't all gotten there at some point in our life. When we just hit a low point and our reaction is, well, God's just not fair. I've done that. I've told God to his face that I was sick of him sleeping on the job because my life ended up in a mess. And my reaction and response was, if you're not going to be the king of my universe, then I will. I'll be the king of my own universe. And if you're not going to help me, I'm going to help myself because I'm just fine on my own. There's another word for that. It's arrogance and pride. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but this is where we begin to see Joseph changing because this is where God really starts to move. I want you to notice something here. I wish it were different, but God meets his children in the trial. Think about it from the Bible. God shows up 
in the furnace. God shows up against the giant. God shows up in the middle of the flood. God shows up in the trial. And it happens with Joseph. But this is Joseph's help. Genesis 39, 20. I love this. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed kindness to him and granted him favor. I mean, this is the beauty of this. God was there in the pain, in the prison, in the injustice, in the hurt, in the questions. He was there for Joseph and he's there for us. There are some of you that are here today. Some of you are in Bellingham, Ferndale, Sun Valley. Your back's up against the wall. You don't know where to turn next. And you're just like, I don't know what to do. This is what you need to know. God's there. Maybe hard for you to find him, but he's there. Joseph's attending God's school of humility and out of nowhere comes Joseph's opportunity. That's the next blank. And do you remember what got Joseph in trouble with his brothers? It was this little gift he had. He was a dreamer, right? He had a gift with dreams. God would show him things in the future about people's lives. And with wisdom, he could use that gift. If he remained humble, he could use that gift to encourage and help other people. Here's the thing, okay? The story goes on. Joseph's captor, the Pharaoh of Egypt, has a dream and it's driving him nuts because nobody has an interpretation. Nobody can tell him what it means. But Pharaoh hears a rumor that there's a Hebrew kid in jail who has the gift of interpreting dreams. This is what happens. The Bible says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear of a dream, you can interpret it. Okay, If old Joseph was still in play here, I'm sure his response would have been, you got a dream? Oh, I can take care of that, no problem. See, I got this gift. You know, this is cool. Bald Egyptian pharaoh dude, just tell me the story and I'll just give you the interpretation and I'm going to get right back in the spotlight where I belong. That's what old Joseph would have said. That's what cocky, arrogant, self-sufficient Joseph would have said. But that guy's actually gone. Listen to Joseph's response, Genesis 41, verse 16. I cannot do it. I love that. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to the Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. I can't, but God can. Not me. God threw me. This is not about me. This is all about him. Pharaoh, this is God trying to get your attention. And if I can be the vessel through which an interpretation's poured, that's cool. But don't you try and assign me any glory or accolades with this. I'm just, I'm just using the gift as quietly and humbly as I possibly can. This is the application of that, that God honors humility The Bible says it over and over and over again. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's what James says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love to describe humility this way. When we are truly humble as God's children, we are never higher than his feet. Let me say that again. When we are truly humble as God's children, we are never higher than his feet. So Joseph, with the power of God, interprets Pharaoh's dream. It's a strange dream. There are cows in the dream, okay? That's a little strange, all right? 
And it has to do with all different kinds of things that are about to come. Basically, Joseph tells Pharaoh, there's a famine coming and you need to get yourself prepared, Mr. Pharaoh man. Pharaoh's impressed. And with that begins Joseph's rise. Genesis 41, 41 says this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. I love the beauty of this transformation. I mean, instantly from a prisoner to a prince in an instant. This is just so God, isn't it? From an addict to an apostle, from a liar to a preacher, from a slave owner to a hymn writer, from a gangbanger to a Bible thumper, from a sex addict to righteous purity. God just loves to transform people instantly and completely. And Joseph now is on the rise because he knows something. This is not about him. It's about God. It's about making God famous. He's ready to rise and assume his role for God's glory because he's not pursuing his own fame anymore. And as the story unfolds, there's a crisis in the land, a famine's coming. There's another opportunity here to display Joseph's wisdom. If you missed it the first time, let me just recap some of this. You learn wisdom in the prison. You learn trust in the hospital room. You learn dependence in the unemployment line. You learn hard lessons in the tough places. In fact, I'm going to make a bold statement here. I don't believe I've learned anything in my life that was very worthwhile learning in an easy season. Anybody else testify to the same thing? I mean, it's in the tough stuff where you really learn what's going on and and, and what your relationship with God truly is. Joseph came out of a bad season and now he has a good season to prepare for another bad season. This is key because I don't want to completely discourage you, but I'll just say it. If you're not in a trial right now, there's one coming. It's like, really? Yeah. You know why? Because Scripture says this, when you face trials of many kinds, it doesn't say if. Nobody here leads a charmed existence that is completely removed from pain and hurt. It's not humanly possible. It comes with being human. Use the good seasons of your life to prepare for the trials ahead. Now, don't be a chicken little, you know, wandering around going, I think the sky is going to fall. I think my computer is going to stop working on Monday. I mean, I, I mean, all that kind of stuff that we just get wrapped up inside of. Some of it's very valid. I mean, you're supposed to take the precautions that were laid out, Right? Use the good season to prepare for the trials. Scripture says this in Genesis 41. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. Okay, here's where it gets really good. He gets ready, and there's food in Egypt. Now, this is why the story gets great. Do you remember Joseph's brothers? The guys who threw him in a pit, sold him for 20 pieces of silver to a group of salesmen who took him to Egypt. And then he ended up going through that moral thing and ended up falsely accused in a prison and then had to work his way back out again. You remember all the guys who started all of that stuff? Well, guess what happens? There's a famine in Egypt, but there's also a famine in all the other lands surrounding Egypt. And the boys get hungry. And they decide, we better go and find food for our father and our families. And there's only one place in the entire area that has food. Guess where that is? Egypt. Guess who's in charge in Egypt? Joseph. The Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of everything. So when they show up in front of 
the leading guy in Egypt asking for food, guess who they don't recognize but is sitting right in front of them? The brother that they sold and faked his death. Okay, I love this part of the story because I just put myself in Joseph's shoes for just a couple of seconds. I'm like, if my brother showed up after doing that to me, asking for food, I would have given them a favor, all right. I would have taken all of the pain and all of the hurt and all of the injustice and all of the anger and I would have stored it up in a ball and I would have rained hell down on top of their heads because I'm such a nice guy, you know, just like, you mess with me, I will mess with you. But not Joseph. You see, Joseph changed. I think Joseph must have done 12 steps somewhere along the journey. (laughs) I hope you'll go and read it for yourself. My goal in this series is that you'll actually grab your Bible, Genesis 42 through 50. It's eight chapters that you'll sit down on a sunny day and just open up the Bible and see whether or not I'm actually telling you the truth. The Bible says that Joseph meets his brothers and then they leave. They don't even recognize him. And he chickens out and saying who he really is. They leave and they end up coming back with their little brother. It's a really cool story. It happens in chapter 45. And then at the end of chapter 45, it says this. It says, Joseph couldn't control himself any longer. And he stands up, dismisses everybody from the room, and then says to his brothers, it's me. It's Joseph. I can picture the brothers. It's Joseph. It's Joe! Oh, no. This is not good. You know that coat thing? Sorry about that. You can just see the brothers there, but these are Joseph's words. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry. God had a plan. You intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. And because of what's going on right here, many lives are going to be saved. He basically says, God sent me on ahead, and now here we are, we're reunited. I mean, when you start talking about reunification at this point, there's only one word for it, it's forgiveness. And I will tell you, forgiving is hard, but it's so worth it. I mean, listen to Joseph's grace. That's the final little blank. Listen to Joseph's grace. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph had an alternative. Don't miss it, okay? He could have exacted revenge. And some of us, we are so tempted when we get hurt by somebody, that's what we think is gonna make us feel better. If I can just exact some revenge on this person, it's gonna fill this hole, this wound inside of my heart. I have learned this personally. Revenge is satisfying for about a second and a half. And then it will make you bitter and in pain for the rest of your life. That's why Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit said this, In the inspired word of God, God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You need to keep your hands off of it. Because when you decide you're going to exact revenge on somebody, it will go terribly wrong and you will not end up feeling better. So you need to leave it to me. You need to trust that person with me. Take your hands off and do like Joseph did. 
you need to forgive. Some of you are like, I will not forgive what that person did to me. You know what that means? That means you're placing yourself in prison for the rest of your life. And I know it's not an easy thing. Believe me, I've had to do it. To have somebody who's wounded you deeply and say, I refuse to judge you anymore. I'm going to hand you over into the judgment of God. I'm going to actually forgive you and bless you. Some of us are like, they don't deserve it. How many of us in this room have deserved anything that we got from God? I deserved hell. I got heaven. I deserved judgment. I got grace. I deserved to be pushed away, and God drew me close. Amazing grace. Joseph chose to forgive. You know, there are so many places that we could have jumped off in this story. Just preparing one message convinced me of something. We need to do an entire recovery series based on the life of Joseph. Guess I just found out what we're doing in January and February. It's so beautiful, right? It's just, it's so beautiful because of the work that God does. And I have no idea where God asked you to get on board. I have no idea what conversation he's been having. For some of you, it's parents looking at each other and saying, you know, we've never meant, intended to do this, but the reality is we've played favorites. Maybe you need to go back and ask for forgiveness. For some of you, it, it, it was that, that little piece about fleeing sexual immorality and all you can picture is Joseph just beating a path in the other direction and you need to come back to God and say, Lord, forgive me for all the times when I didn't run when I should have. Maybe it's the little piece about preparing in a good season because you know that there's going to be a trial coming and not waiting to call on the name of the Lord until you're in the middle of a crisis. Boy, how many times have we done that, right? When everything's good, who needs God? But instead to say, Lord, I'm going to keep calling on you, especially during this time of great blessing and thanking you because you're the author of all of that blessing. Maybe your little piece tonight was just that, that, that little thing about revenge. And right now, God is literally taking your hand in Ferndale, and Sudden Valley, and Bellingham, and he's just slowly pulling your fingers back and saying, you've been holding on to a hope for revenge from that person who hurt you way too long, and now it's time for you to open up your hand and give them to me. And you need to do the unthinkable. You need to forgive. Maybe some of you have been doing some biblical arithmetic in your brain. And you looked at the story of Joseph and you got way out there in front of me and you began to realize this little final application that I put in your outline. You see, think about everything that you just learned about the story of Joseph and then consider this. 2,000 years ago, God sent a prince. Not the prince of Egypt. The prince of all glory. And Jesus left his home and his father to come here. And his brothers and sisters whom he created hated him and wanted him dead. He was sold for silver, falsely accused and punished even though he had done 
nothing wrong. And he was crucified unjustly and took a sacrifice that we could not make ourselves. And when it looked like everything that was bad and could be bad was heaped on the life of Jesus, God would use those bad things that were done to his own son Jesus for good, for the saving of many lives. Old Testament, New Testament. Everywhere you look, you just keep finding Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now that you would just do your work. Here in this room and in the barn at Sutton Valley and school in Ferndale. Pray that you'd come and do your work. And Lord, I pray whatever little piece you had intended for every person here, I pray that their heart would be humble enough to receive it. I pray that they would not be arrogant and say, I can do this on my own. I have my own plan. Instead, I pray that they would just quietly open their heart, their hand, their mind to you. Father, I pray for those who had no idea that you could find Jesus in this Old Testament story. I pray that they would know that God the Father so loved them that he was willing to send his son here to this broken little planet to become a sacrifice for us once and for all, that he was sold, that he was betrayed, that he was imprisoned, that he was crucified so that he could take all of our sin on his perfect being so that our sins could be forgiven and wiped away once and for all. I pray that we would know, each one of us, that Jesus did that for the saving of many lives, just like in the story of Joseph. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're, if you're here today and, and you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if you've never met Christ, if you've never been forgiven of sin, if you've never felt a peace in your heart that only comes from knowing God, I'm going to invite you just to pray just this simple little prayer of faith in your heart with me right now. Jesus, I know that you love me enough to die for me. So right now I receive the free gift of your salvation. I believe that you endured all of the pain of the cross for the saving of my life. So now I receive that gift of salvation. I ask that you would forgive me and wash me as white as snow. I thank you that you are so powerful that your sacrifice could cover all of my sin. And I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. I see you for who you really are, my Lord and my God. And I give you the rest of my life. I give you my need for revenge. I give you for the bitterness that I've held because it felt like you were playing favorites with other people. I give you back my arrogance, 
and ask that you'd give me the godly humility that brought your son here. I love you because you first loved me. Every head bowed, nobody looking around. If you made that decision today and you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Would you just slip your hand up in the air so that I could see it? Just slip it straight up in the air. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you right down here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father God, thank you for still transforming lives. Thank you for turning arrogant, proud young men into princes of the Most High God. Thank you for transforming daughters and pronouncing blessing and beauty on them. We give you all glory, honor, and praise as the God of Joseph, the God of Noah, the God of creation, and the God of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.